0: Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design.
1: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 316. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective.
0: Here's your host.
1: Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 316 you're listening to. Happy New Year to you. My guest today is Jenny Ortiz, also known as Mixed by Jenny, who works with artists such as Khan, JLA, Contraband, and Thurs. She talks to us from her home and home studio in Southern California, where we have a great conversation. Jenny Ortiz, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about all the things you can do from the comfort of your own home studio. All right, in no particular order, I'm gonna tell you some things that are obvious and probably some things that may not be as obvious. But if you have a home studio, there's a lot of things you could do to bring in income to help put food on the table. All these things are somewhat pandemic-proof because I think moving forward, there's no doubt in any of your minds that whatever you choose to do, try to make sure that it's not greatly affected by a pandemic that causes us all to shelter in place. You know, it may be a new year, but hey, COVID's still around, people are still dying, it's still not a great situation. So let's talk about these things that you could do with your home studio to put food on the table. Mm. All right, let's go for the obvious ones. Mixing and mastering, those are two things. And I have suggestions for those two things that they both have in common. When you're doing mixing and mastering, you most certainly need an acoustically treated room, a a room that sounds good within itself. Now, that's, of course, a separate discussion from soundproofing. We're just talking about room treatment. You want the room to sound good. You want the music you play in that room to sound balanced, and the room is a huge part of that. And there are all kinds of acoustic solutions, from DIY solutions to off-the-shelf, go-online-and-buy type solutions, and those range in you know, price and aesthetic in a number of ways. So that's something you have to consider. Also, one thing to consider that I think a lot of people overlook is they buy the wrong size speaker for their room. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've got a small room, buying a huge monitor setup, speaker setup is not gonna be beneficial to you. Case in point, I've got a very small room here. It's probably under 180 square feet maybe, possibly very oddly shaped, that's in my favor. Certain walls aren't parallel, the, the ceiling slopes, because it's a it's a mid-century modern house, so we've got a sloping ceiling, and all of that's great. And when I add acoustic treatment in the room, that takes it up another notch. So you have the, uh, the room shape benefiting me, I've got the acoustic treatment benefiting me, but the mistake I made early on was I had the wrong set of speakers in here. I had a set of speakers that just did not sound right, ever, and I was struggling to make them sound right. The room was too small, I discovered, and... I made that discovery by switching to a different set of speakers. I went from Klein and Hummel O300s, which are now, uh, of course, branded as Neumann 0310s, to the Amphian 118s. We won't go into a rabbit hole discussion of why that's better, but in this room, with its size and its volume, the Amphians worked out much better, and things translate much better. I can hear what I'm doing. So, it's great to have a home studio, but don't get over-excited and think, I've got to get the biggest pair of speakers I can get. Get the appropriate size speaker for your room. And sometimes the only way you can figure that out is trying them out. Maybe having a discussion with an, an acoustician friend, if you've got an acoustician friend, maybe do a little research online. Something to consider for mixing and mastering. Now, having a, a well-tuned room, a well-focused room that acoustically helps things translate to the outside world is not just the domain of mixing and mastering, right? It can apply to and help the other things I'm about to name. Podcast editing. That's a source of income. Podcasts are crazy popular right now you're listening to one if you're hearing this it takes a great room to do that in Of course, you could do that on headphones. I I do that quite often, actually. But there's all kinds of podcasts. Obviously, there's more than podcasts in the pro audio sector, which there are a number of great ones, but there's a lot of podcasts in the world of medicine, world of sports, other uh, entertainment, like film. You know, you know, as well as I do, there's a crap ton of podcasts out there and somebody's editing them, somebody's putting them together. So maybe that's a source of income for you. Vocal tuning. Now, this is something that I'm not involved in very much. People don't hire me me to do vocal tuning, and it's not my forte, so I don't put myself out there to do it, but you could. Maybe that is your forte. Somebody needs that sometimes. People do. People like to farm that crap out. Drum replacement. There's another one. Now, that is something I think I'm pretty good at, actually. But that's something I actually don't put myself out there in the world to do, because I like to get involved in the mixing side and incorporate that in there. But maybe you're a drummer who is an audio engineer like me, and maybe you have a strong talent for that, and maybe you know where to go to get hired for that. It's a consideration. Drum replacement as, you know, as a task. Just like vocal tuning, right? Sound design and Foley work for TV and film. There are a lot of, uh, commercials, television shows, and movies, and movies that aren't just, you know, destined for the big screen, but some series that are just destined for Amazon or Netflix. So that's Definitely something to consider. Also, writing music for sync licensing or jingles for commercials. That's another thing you can use a home studio for. One of my favorite things to do actually is audio cleanup. You could do it for videographers. I've had numerous people come to me who shoot a wedding video and the audio got goofed up and they need help you know rescuing the poor audio but that doesn't just pertain to wedding videos you could do it for law enforcement you can you could be on either side of that equation too you could do it for law enforcement or you could do it for your local public defender's office i've done the, the public defender's office work i've done some law enforcement stuff now Here's where I want to caution you on that, on the audio cleanup. Don't just take every person that comes in the door and says, hey, I need something cleaned up, because what you will find is there are a lot of people covertly recording conversations with people that either they're in business with or lover or, you know, you know, somebody's wife or husband and, you know, they get into the whole, you know, they're they're worried about them cheating. That's when it can get a little nut. I don't want to say I don't want to over dramatize and say I've had some psychos, but I've had some very very strange people come at me for audio cleanup. And I made a conscious decision after a couple of experiences to step away and only do it when it has to do with law enforcement or public defenders or videographers trying to save a project. I stay away from the personal, you know, my wife's cheating on me kind of crap. That just gets insane. Uh, What else? Creating loot packs. That's another possibility. Uh, drum loops, whether they be acoustic or electronic, whatever you think is your forte, that's a possibility. You could sell these online. Uh, dr- uh, drum samples is another thing I'm very fond of. Drum samples are, are enjoyable to uh, create. And uh, I have a whole library of stuff that I use for myself, as well as stuff that I buy from you know, all the usual suspects. So yeah, vocal tuning, podcast editing, Uh, sound design and Foley work for TV and film, Um, mixing, mastering, writing music, audio cleanup, uh, loop packs, all possibilities. And I'm sure that there's more that I'm leaving on the table here, but I think you get the point. If you're into doing one form of audio, let's say you're just a mixing engineer and that's all you do, and you need to bring in some more income and diversify as I'm always preaching about, consider these other things. These are ways you can put your home studio to work for you to help put some food on the table and pay the bills. And uh, you know, it's a great resource that you have sitting right in front of you. If you don't have a home studio, to get started, you know you don't have to invest a ton of money. You need a great pair of speakers, an interface, a DAW, a room with some some decent acoustics, which, of course, you can either do on the cheap or you can do expensively, however you want to do it. But a home studio these days just seems to be absolutely crucial to surviving in uh, this economy, and it, and it will help, help you stay pandemic-proof. Absolutely. All right, that's my rant. Thanks for listening. ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Jenny Ortiz here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Jenny, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Great to have you on. Great to meet you. I'd like to dive right in with asking, where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in South Central LA. So. I don't live there no more. I live in Chatsworth, but it's about probably an hour away from there. Mm. I kind of grew up there since all the way till I was like 23. And then I moved out from that area. But my parents still live there, so I definitely go back and visit. I, I feel like I grew up all over Los Angeles because I've worked in many studios in Orange County and in L.A. County, and I just feel like I've always driving around up and down the freeways. I just know them by heart already. So it's like when people are like, oh, where did you go up? I'm like, oh, I grew up all over L.A. <laughs>
1: well, it's a big place. There's lots of places to go. So where you grew up, I guess, is really relative to where you spend your time. And if you spent your time yes. all over in the city, then Los yes, Angeles yes, is, yes. as a whole.
0: Yes. I remember when I was in high school and college, I didn't even go back home. I was always trying to just stay out and about, just going out with friends or with coworkers. It's just always out the house.
1: Yeah. Were you involved in music growing up in school at all? In school band or anything like that?
0: Yes, definitely. I started all in middle school. I started in the choir. That was like my favorite class out of all those classes I had throughout being in in middle school. And then once I got into high school, I knew that they had like a music program. So Immediately, I was like, I have to join. I have to be part of that program. I didn't know how to play any instrument. So when I approached my teacher, I was like, I don't know how to play instruments. I don't know how to read music, but I want to be part of the band. And they were like, Okay, well, we have trombone and we have trumpet and he's like maybe you should start with trumpet you're a little girl so I think you'll be able to hold the trumpet better than the trombone so I played trumpet for about four years Mm. and I joined all sorts of bands I joined the jazz band I joined the marching band they had like a little quartet so it was fun and once I got into college I also joined their their college man for about a year Mm. Then I figured out maybe trumpet is not my full career that I want to just take on professionally. So that's when I started getting more into audio engineering and learning the basics of how to work.
1: How did you get turned on to recording when you got to college? Who introduced you to that and what was the inspiration for wanting to learn that?
0: Well, it's a funny story because during the time when I was playing trumpet in high school, at the same time, Alternative rock was like a really big genre at that point. So I would be on MTV and they would always have behind the scene videos where the band would record in the studio. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: One of these scenes was like they were in the studio in the control room and they were all kind of paying attention to one person as they were playing back the music. And I was just like, who's that guy? Who's that guy in front of this board? I felt like he was just kind of like, guiding that whole band to be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is how it sounds. So I just quickly just kind of investigated on the internet. And it was like, what kind of job is this? And then it finally came up and it's like, oh, it's an audio engineer. That's what they do. They work at a recording studio. And that's when I was just like, that's what I want to do. And then I slowly just started investigating what schools and what programs and what softwares I needed to use. And that's how I basically got into being an engineer
1: and were you taking college-based programs on recording
0: the first two years i wasn't it was more like a basic school programs that they were like English and math but slowly after those two years i was able to finally get basic music production learning how to use my Daw, learning how to use the ssl boards that they had and the basic of audio recording even how to like tangle cables properly. Mm-hmm. So that, that was fun to me. It was funny. We had a whole day where we were just tangling cables and throwing them out and then tangling them again. And it was just a whole experience.
1: Were you tangling or were you wrapping?
0: Oh, wrapping. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> I was yeah. Say. they were definitely tangled. But <laughs> we would throw them out and tangle them on purpose and then bring them back up and just neatly and, and just make sure they're nice and circled and put away nicely, you know, like studio <laughs> etiquette.
1: Wow. That's, that's a sign of a good course if they're teaching you how to wrap cables properly, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a whole two-hour course.
1: <laughs> Once again, back to the mentor question, were the, did you find the instructors to be mentor-like people? Were you inspired by them or were you getting mentorship or inspiration from elsewhere?
0: I got mentorship from elsewhere. I remember my last year of college, I entered at a recording studio in Orange County and the recording studio is called Studio 770. I entered there for about six months. Hmm. Shanti Haas is the owner and she was just, she's just very lovely. She showed me the ropes literally hands-on, and I felt like with that experience, I just learned very fast because I was put into the water and she was just like, do this, do that, and it was more of a learning experience than at school where I was just kind of reading off a book and I didn't feel like I was learning the real experience when I was working with Shanti at Studio 770.
1: Were there other interns as well when you were there?
0: There was, but with an internship, it's like you enter for a set amount of, of months I felt like I was the only one who stuck around and was like, I really want to keep learning this. So I basically just expanded my schedule. Once I graduated college, I was like, I'm more available. So I would love to just work more in the studio. And then that's when she decided to hire me as a staff engineer. And I was able to be more involved in the studio longer periods of time. And that kind of helped me get really experienced in working in the studio.
1: Back to college for a second. What did you ultimately get your degree in?
0: The degree there at Dominguez Hills is digital media, and it's mainly audio recording. Oh. So I do have a minor in digital graphics. hmm That's the route I took.
1: Did you feel that your experience in college helped you up your audio game? Did you feel like you, you gained valuable experience there?
0: I feel like I gained the confidence. Mm-hmm. To learn all the basics I need to know, all the lingo that a studio has, and then I'm able to go to another studio and adapt that and not start from the beginning. Because I know that some engineers, the route they take is that they start at a studio and they intern there and then they just grow up from there. I decided to go to school because... At that time, I didn't have anybody around me who produced. I didn't know anybody who sang. I was the only one involved in music. So I felt like taking the college route and learning from classes that teach audio engineering was the best way for me to get my foot in the door, basically, in that career.
1: Did the end of college coincide with the internship ending? What was the timeline there?
0: No, not at all. After I graduated college, I stayed at the studio I was working at for about three years. And after those three years, I wanted to experience working with other people Mm. in different types of genres at that studio. It was more of a jazz and classical artists booking those type of sessions. Mm. And I wanted to be more involved into hip hop and more contemporary music. So I knew that I probably have to move out and and apply to studios in Hollywood where that is more of a modern business. That's when I decided to migrate down to Hollywood and see what studios I can apply to and get hired and have those type of experiences there.
1: So that first studio, that was Studio 770. Okay. Orange County. Tell me about what you learned there. What was the takeaway from that experience because you you interned for 6 months and then you stayed on, I assume in a paid position. Maybe was it hourly or did they pay you a salary? How did that work out?
0: It was more like hourly. I basically ran sessions We had two studios there. So one was like a big control room with different rooms inside and they had the big analog board. So I was able to learn signal flow and how to control the board and and even like maintenance. Shanti is just very, very hands-on. So she taught me how to solder. She taught me the inworks of the board. And she also is big on multi-tracking machines. So I was able to like learn how to align tape machines and mm. how to record on tape. So that right now is a mystery to people. A lot of people don't know how to record on tape and working with Shanti is just, I was able to to learn how to record a tape and playback audio. So that was just very fun. And then from then on throughout the years, since we had another studio which was a smaller studio, it was Studio B it was a more in the box where there was no outboard gear there was just a studio booth with a mic and then the computer. So I was able to adapt to that studio and receive clients in that studio and and work in the box too. So I had best of both worlds where it was like the analog world with Mm. the the big console and the rooms and all the mics. And then I had the other world where it was just a home studio and and it was just one mic and, and you and the artist and that's it. So I feel like working there for three years, I've gained a lot of experience and a lot of confidence to be like, okay, I feel like I can do this on my own and just adventure out and work at different studios all over LA. That was like, my goal is not to stick at one studio, but to be at different studios. And like the best feeling is when someone is like, hey, didn't I see you at the other studio? Or I think I've seen you somewhere else, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, I've been around different studios in LA. So it's kind of a good feeling getting that back from people.
1: When you were at Studio 770, were you surviving? Was it financially difficult to survive on what they were paying, or did you have another gig outside of there?
0: Yes, I definitely had another gig. I worked at a trucking company as a dispatcher. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so I did that part time. And then we would always end like around because it was like an 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. type of job. And after 6 p.m., I rushed from Compton all the way to Orange County. And then 6 p.m. was a very bad traffic hour. So it would take me about an hour and 30 minutes to get there. But then from then on, I would stay there the whole night from like, 7 p.m. I guess to like 3 a.m. and then do it again the next day. Wow. So it was cool for a whole minute. But at some point I was just like, <laughs> damn, it's, this is a drive. I've been doing this for like two, three years. I, I, I have to change this schedule for me. So that's when I was like, OK, Hollywood is a bit closer to me. It's just 30 minutes away from me. So I was just like, I'm going to find some work over there, network better and try to fit in into the Hollywood music community.
1: When you decided to make that transition, and head into Hollywood for work there. Did you feel like you had to have a discussion with Shanti to say, "Hey, I'm going to spread my wings a little bit here and I won't be as available" or how did how did that go? How did the did you maintain that relationship with her?
0: At first it was a little bit hard because I didn't want to just step away. But at the same time, she was hiring new engineers because she was expanding her studio to grow. I believe she was building another studio. So Mm -hmm. at that time, she was in need of more engineers. And that studio, it's a perfect studio for anybody who's a beginner who really wants to take engineering seriously. That's a perfect studio to go in there and intern and just learn everything from building cables to communicating, having a good relationship with clients. So it's when I approached her saying that I'm going to start working other places. She was completely fine with it. She was like, this environment is more like a learning environment. I feel like you've kind of exceeded that. So I support that you're leaving for better avenues.
1: Your transition into exploring Hollywood studios. What was your, yes. what was your method to go and find new studios to work at?
0: So at first it was literally emailing each studio in Hollywood letting them know that I have this much experience and I would really love to work with you and set up an interview just the same old story basically so the funny thing was that out of the five studios I had an interview with two called me back and I decided to go with one and I remember I was there for about a week You start as a runner Mm -hmm. and you start doing runner duties where you go out and get food and you clean and just basically be an intern runner. And... I wasn't used to that because at Studio 770, we never went out for food runs. We were just really hands in into the studio. We were always fixing something, whether it was like a broken mic, a broken speaker. There was always something to do. So when I went into these big studios where big artists were requesting like for food runs and stuff, it was kind of new to me. I remember I was there for a week and out of that whole week, I only saw one studio inside. Like basically we went inside and cleaned and organized all the candies and snacks and refilled and stocked it up. And I remember that was the only time I actually saw a recording studio from that facility. And I was just like, yeah, this is not for me. So I decided to be like, I'm going to take this on my own and network with people and just work with artists who are independently coming up in the music industry. And by networking, I just met a lot of different types of producers and artists artists and songwriters from different levels. And I really like that because I felt like I was able to form a type of relationship with them and grow in the music industry and create like my own platform where people can contact me for my services rather than me trying to work at a studio and kind of wait around for work.
1: I'm sure it gives you a sense of empowerment to just kind of take control of your destiny rather than relying on these people to give you a break.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Is there something really bad in working at a studio? It's the route you want to take. If you feel like that route's easier for you, go ahead and it's more power to you. But in my opinion, I feel like, no, I want it just to be hands-on. I wanted to start recording people. I wanted to have my own setup at home and continue to learn more about the music industry and not just be an engineer who is just sitting in front of a board. Networking and social media at this age and time is very Powerful to build relationships with a lot of people in the music industry. And I believe that that helped me a
1: lot. What about the decision process in choosing the gear that you bought to create a home setup?
0: Working at different studios and seeing everybody's setup, whether if it was like a small setup or a big console or a setup that's like in a closet or in the back room, it allowed me to see what people were working with. And just seeing their setups and see what kind of functions and what's easy and what's cheap or affordable, it allowed me to choose what kind of equipment I want. So I think just working at different studios allowed me to grasp that knowledge and be like, okay, maybe I'm not gonna buy that type of equipment. It's too expensive. I'm gonna buy the cheaper version, which is just as good.
1: And did you go buy it all at once or did you slowly put it together piece by piece?
0: Oh, no, slowly, very slowly. It's always been like a gradual, like, let's say I'll buy like a small piece of equipment and then I'll save money for the next big thing. And then I'll sell the equipment I have to get better equipment. So it's always been like a buildup of my studio, what I have.
1: What about clients? What were you doing to get clients? When you talk about networking, what were you doing to network?
0: In the beginning, I was going to network meetups. Mm-hmm. I was online. I believe at the time I was using meetup.com and Facebook and people would host these networking music meetings where... A lot of producers from all levels would show up and artists would show up and sometimes they would perform. They would have an open mic and people from all sorts of levels of of the music industry would just show up. And then I was able to network and, and use social media as my business card in a sense and just be able to build relationships and most of the time work with them.
1: They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app. Check it out. As opposed to using your full name, you chose Mixed by JNY. Do you find that that is easier for people to remember? What was your thought process behind using that particular moniker?
0: It's funny because there's this engineer that I look up to. He goes by Mixed by Ali. He's an engineer for Top Dog Entertainment, and he makes a bunch of records for them. And I feel like that was a pretty creative way to brand yourself because instantly by people just seeing the name, they know what you do. Hmm. So I decided, okay, I'm going to adapt that and put mixed by Jenny. I know Jenny was too long. I didn't want to put J-E-N-N-Y. So I went on and be creative and just put J-N-Y. And that's helped a lot because anytime I, I work on something and they either tag me on the post or something, it clearly says mixed by Jenny so they don't have to explain themselves of what that person did in the music.
1: (laughs) That's that's pretty smart. How do you use social media or did you consciously use social media to try to get more work?
0: Yes, I still do to this day. I feel like marketing, it's a big asset to my music business building platform of Mixed by Jenny because word of mouth helps a lot too. But if someone says like, oh yeah, I've worked with this girl and her name's Jenny and and she makes my song. The best way to find me is on social media. So quickly they'd be like, you can find her on on Instagram, mixed by Jenny, and instantly they find me and either DM me or send me an email. And that's how I've marketed myself. Very quickly.
1: It's definitely, I don't want to say it's a generational thing because I know mm. people who are not necessarily in your generation that are doing it, but it's a super effective way to get to the point. Because, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I mean, you look at someone's feed, you kind of go, oh, okay. You get a sense of th- their personality, what they're up to, their activities, or if they're full of it. And mm. then you can instantly message them and say, hey, I want to hire you. So yes. when it comes to that, Everybody's on social media. And do you find that you get, I don't know if this term will make sense to you because I don't know if, do they still make the yellow pages? I don't even know if they do, but.
0: I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, I think the last time I saw a yellow book was like two years ago. Okay, okay.
1: (laughs) I always think of it sometimes like if you were to advertise in the yellow pages back in the day, you would get kind of every Tom, Dick and Harry out there that was like, you'd get total amateurs Mm -hmm. all the time. So do you find that you get the Yellow Page crowd or the Craigslist crowd, like the amateurs coming through your Instagram feed?
0: Yes, I definitely get all sorts of different types of people. Not only do I work from people from L.A., but I also work from people who are from New York and North Carolina. They're the ones who send me their music and I may being able to mix it. And they probably have a-, a community that streams their music. So it's really cool knowing that I worked on something that someone released in New York. So that's been a cool experience. But getting that crowd of unexperienced Artist. Every individual is interesting because some people don't know how to record. Some people want to contact you. You're like, hey, I want you to mix my music. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Have you recorded before? And they're like, no, I haven't recorded anything. And you're just like, oh, well, I, I live on the other side of the country. So I don't know how, how I can help you. But usually what I do is I try to help them as much as possible. And if they do have music out, it's even better because I feel like, okay, they have a grasp of what it is to record and put out music. So, but if they have no idea, then I'll try my best to suggest ideas or it depends on the individual. It's just a different story every time, but I don't neglect anybody because of their experience or how experienced they are as an artist.
1: Yeah, sometimes I get frustrated frustrated with some people's communication style you know mm. some people mm. just mm-hmm. are like they'll send you a message hi or yo and you're like what 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 can i do for mm. you and yeah, you don't yeah, know yeah. if it's like is this like a spam thing or does, does this mm-hmm. person not know how to communicate effectively and even if they do it takes great patience i'm sure you would agree in oh, yeah. in addressing it when yes. they don't understand the you record then you know you do overdubs and then you mix and then you master and then you release they don't understand that process do you find that frustrating a
0: tad bit but not so much because i feel like most of the time when I start explaining them, like, this is the process. And at each stage, we're going to need this. We're going to need that. Either they themselves get basically they, they don't want to do it anymore. Or if they're serious about it, they'll keep contacting you and kind of telling you like, OK, what else do I need? What else do I need? And usually I do go on their page and see if they're going to be serious about this. And if they're not so serious they're just asking like random questions, I'm just going to be like in a nice way to them, like maybe it's not the time for you to spend so much money on getting this professionally mixed. But definitely continue to make music on your own and record and just don't be afraid to put music out, even though it's not professionally mixed. The thing is that you have to go on in this journey and develop and become an artist. You don't just wake up and, and, and sing and be like, OK, I'm good now. No, you just, it's a whole development. And not only on my end, there's patience, but on their end, there has to be some type of patience, mm. too.
1: That's very kind of you to to be so forgiving because it is, I've experienced it numerous times and I find it very frustrating and I have to like mm-hmm. temper my emails or my messages back to make sure I don't scare them off, but... Mm-hmm. You continue to use social media to get work, but before COVID, were you going out at all for networking?
0: Not at all. Before COVID, being an independent engineer where you don't have to be at a studio 24 hours a day, it has this negative points where there's a whole week where you're just working on sessions, doing sessions here, there, mixing. And then I don't know where there's a whole week where you're not doing anything it gets quiet. Mm. And it's like, damn, I have to market myself again. I have to promote my my services again. And, and I get impatient. I feel like I need to start doing something. So it's funny because before COVID, that's the situation I was in. It was like a really slow moment. And as soon as COVID hit, there was like lockdowns. Everybody stayed indoors. A lot of these people who I used to work with started contacting me and they're like, hey, I want to work on a project now. I have so much time in my hands. I want to start making music. And I'm just like, "Okay, cool. So they started working on their end, like recording at their house or coming into the studio and or sending me files. And I was able to during the whole COVID era, stay mixing at my own studio and just sending out files and receiving files. So I was kind of busy during that time. But pre-COVID, I was a little scared and it was like, I'm not doing anything. But during COVID, I was like, wow, I'm doing so much. So that was just an interesting. (laughs) That's (laughs) crazy. Yes. Yes.
1: How do you set your prices for what you do?
0: If it's like one song they want me to mix, I have a set rate for them and I'll see how experienced they are and according to how much music they've put out and how experienced they are, I'll base a rate that's comfortable for them. Hmm. But if it's a whole project, I'll also work with them within their budget. Now if I do end up working with a big record label, there's already a budget set for the entire project and everybody involved. So obviously my, my rate will go up because there's more of a professionalism needed there. So it depends. I always have to have different rates with independent artists and then a rate for artists who are signed to record labels.
1: Is there a threshold at which it's too low?
0: There is. Sometimes there is. Sometimes maybe it's, I'm not meeting around their budget needs. So the best thing I could do is recommend them to someone else that meets their budget. And that's the best thing I can do. But other than that, I feel like throughout the years of my experience, I don't want to set my standards low for myself. I want to keep setting them higher. And usually artists who take this career seriously and they want to work with you, they'll find a way where they'll meet your budget and you meet their budget. Yeah. Especially working with independent artists, you build a relationship. So at some point, the budget doesn't, there's no set budget. It's more like a relationship and a growth with them. Mm -hmm.
1: Your studio, which I can see behind you, unfortunately, the audience can't see. So is this, this is at your house, obviously. Yes. And is it an apartment or is it a house?
0: It's a house. We have around three bedrooms and one bedroom in the back. It was like a garage, but that garage, I converted it into a studio.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: There's soundproofing. It's just a whole studio back here. You wouldn't even notice from the outside. And then inside the house, the rooms that, that are available are also recording studios. So we have another artist in the house who works in one of the studios. And then um, we also have sometimes have people come in and out, working in, in the other studios, too.
1: Wait, so this is a whole house that's just studios?
0: Yeah. So I think that's that's like the new thing right now where people are buying like buildings or offices or houses and converting them into studios.
1: Wow. OK. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's kind of fun waking up. You just wake up and you're like, ah, oh, you're in the recording studio. <laughs> like, oh, okay,
1: okay. You know? Well, the home studio thing is not necessarily new, but but you're saying that the house is actually fully occupied by all studios?
0: Yeah, so basically when I was working with them Joints, he had his own house, obviously, but then he had another house where he converted it into his record label facility. So in each room, he had different recording studios. And obviously he had his studio and then he had me working in another room and then his artist working in another room. And it was like a constant flow of, of working every day. Someone coming in you, recording something new or working on a new project. Mm. So I, I really like that feeling because you, you not only get The comfortability of being in a home, but you don't feel like you're tied down to a time frame. Like when you book a studio, you know, you're there for only four hours, strictly four hours and that's it or whatever time you book it for. But being in a house studio is more comfortable because you can step outside in the backyard and kind of take a break or go to the kitchen, make something for yourself or just sit down in the living room. And then people are working in every studio. So they might come out and you can network with them and and just meet other people and feel comfortable.
1: But you also live there.
0: Yes. So now I live here. Before I didn't live here, but now I live here. What happened was them joints decided to move on and we stayed with the house and we just continued to adapt the same strategy where we maintained each room as a studio for people to come in and work.
1: And how does that work? Like, you know, obviously you have it set up as a bedroom as well. So you sleep in that room, right?
0: Oh, not at all. No, we have three rooms in the house one room is a it's official bedroom like that's where i sleep but the other two rooms are studio rooms
1: oh okay so are you the only one that lives there or
0: no it's me and my boyfriend who live here he's also a a recording artist oh
1: okay sorry i i was like totally confused i was like wait
0: (laughs) no worries i understand you don't live with me so it's a whole convolution of things when i when it when i'm trying to explain myself
1: yeah yeah But that's an interesting idea, though. I mean, beyond the home studio, Mm -hmm. taking over a house and making it a series of studios. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm sure you keep it on the down low with the neighbors so the neighbors don't get upset that there's a business running out of there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think they even notice because sometimes studio centers run really late, like four or five in the morning, and the rooms are pretty much soundproof. So you can't really hear anything outside. It's just almost like a car kind of bumping the base. That's it. But other than that, we haven't had any like complaints, which is really a really good thing. And we've been there for more than five years, I think. Hmm. And it's just been a smooth situation.
1: And COVID proof.
0: COVID proof. Yeah. Well, right now we haven't had any like new people come in. It's only been me and my boyfriend. But other than that, most of the work is just being sent through emails.
1: Yeah. When it comes to money, what would be your advice to others on how to handle their their finances as an audio professional? What works for you and do you have any suggestions for others in order to survive?
0: It's still difficult sometimes for me, but the best thing is to always have a plan B, always have some form of income coming in elsewhere that's not only music you have to either have a part-time job or a hobby that pays you or always have plan b because working in the music industry sometimes you do it just for experience sometimes they do pay sometimes they pay a lot sometimes they pay less or sometimes you have to wait a whole month for the check to clear because these labels they're bigger businesses so you kind of have to wait around for them to like authorize and just go through the details of your invoice and it just takes longer. So it's kind of scary waiting a whole month or months for them to finally cash you out. So you gotta just make sure you you have a plan B and a, another source of income coming in.
1: Have you maintained your your dispatcher job?
0: No, (laughs) no, I have not. I'm at this moment able to just live out of my own platform, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. In the beginning, it was a little bit hard, but as time progressed, I was able to gather more clients and be more savvy on social media with networking and stuff. So that's how I'm able to get more clients from across the country who find me.
1: And the quality of the the tracks you get from people does that vary a lot?
0: It does vary. Sometimes they end up sending me other types of sessions where they work on different DAWs. Luckily, I'm able to adapt to different DAWs and like export and see what they're working with. Other than that, I've just gotten really savvy in how like on editing like vocals, cleaning them up. Sometimes the music. Is meant to sound grungy, so I get away with that. But other than that, it's just trying to adapt to what they give me kind of gives me a challenge to better myself in audio recording and meeting standards and making sure everything's going to sound good at the end of the day.
1: Is it difficult to handle revisions and changes from clients? Sometimes the the language we use, one person's thin is another person's fat and round and Mm -hmm. we all kind of mix up the words a little bit. How do you handle that?
0: At first, it is a little bit of a challenge because it's like a new artist you're working with. So you're trying to see what they want, the end outcome. But as you continue to grow with them, you kind of know when they start expressing themselves. It's like, oh, I want a little bit more brightness or this, this and that. You understand because you've been working with them for a while. You get to understand their own lingo and how they want to express themselves.
1: Well, this has been great, Jenny. For the audience, I'll include links in the show notes to reach you on social media. Instagram is at mixedbyjny. Same on Twitter. And well, you actually, do you have a website?
0: I don't have a website yet, but this year I'm for sure looking into building my own website. And I've just been so caught up with other aspects in life that I'm just like, I need to get into building this website.
1: But obviously, you're working. So the social media aspect of this is working out for you. Well, we'll include Instagram and Twitter accounts there in the show notes for those that want to reach out and have a chat with you. So I just want to thank you for uh, responding so quickly and coming on the show. It's great to meet you and someday we'll meet in person, I'm sure at some audio event in the future. So
0: yes, yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks again. Jenny Ortiz here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I want to thank the crew as usual. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith there at the top of the show with his lovely voice. Stop on by WorkingClassAudio.com, subscribe on iTunes, and until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware...